Please open your Bible to Genesis chapter 13. It's found in our Pew Bible on page 9. I encourage you to, to pull that out and keep it out. I encourage you to, to bring your Bible from home as well. Pastor Andy and I will read the entire chapter. Listen now to God's word. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where the, where the tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all of the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. We've been walking through the biography of Abraham and Sarah, retracing what the Apostle Paul calls in Romans 4, the footsteps of faith. The kind of faith that lays hold of the grace of God. The kind of faith that honors Jesus that pleases the Father, that keeps us in step with the Holy Spirit. So let's turn to the Spirit of God and ask Him to speak through me this morning and to bless our time in the Word. Heavenly Father, even as you spoke to your friend and servant Abram by your Spirit, now please speak to each of us for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of our eternal souls and our forever joy in Christ. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, last week in chapter 12, God set Abram and Sarai back on track, back where they belong, back to the promised land after a number of unfortunate missteps. Do you remember the scene from last week? Abram again returns to the altar that he first built to the Lord, and he worships God in that place. And now in chapter 13, faced with another crisis, instead of reacting with fear, Abram trusts God and his plan. And the Lord rewards him by lifting up his eyes to see something of what God has in store for him and his offspring. But let's recall the, uh, the crisis that led up to this situation. That this crisis that he's in here in Genesis 13 is a consequence of Abram's faithless fleeing to Egypt. He, he, he left the promised land. Why? Do you remember there was a famine? He left the promised land. He left literally out of God's will to go to a place where he thought he could provide for himself and his family and all of his people. And so he, he left and subsequently, in the process of leaving God's will and trusting in his own understanding of things, he broke his marriage vows. And he put Sarai and the promised seed at risk. A series of choices, you can add your own adjective, led to this mess. What adjective would you use? Silly choices, confused choices, ridiculous choices. All of it led to the mess that they were in. When Abram fudged God's clear command and told his nephew Lot, why don't you come with me on this journey, he was taking Lot as an insurance policy. He thought that he was helping God out. But here's the deal. Little faithless steps or missteps that I'm going to call them throughout the series those little missteps of faith that you and I choose can have consequences if they're not dealt with immediately. And we're going to see that played out here in the chapter. The text says that Abram was very, very rich. Apparently so was his nephew Lot. Now, does that sound like much of a consequence? Does it? To be very, very wealthy? Well, according to the Bible, it was. And Abram's going to learn this lesson, and we're going to learn, learn it with him. You see, they had flocks and herds and tents and lots of mouths to feed, so much so that the land couldn't sustain them all. Now, where, where did Abram gain all of this extra wealth? Do you remember from last week? From Egypt, from the Pharaoh. From lying to the Pharaoh, saying that Sarah, his wife, was actually his sister. That's how he, he gained all of this extra wealth. He was rewarded for breaking his marriage vows. And I said to you last week that, that God is the only gentleman in the story. He protects Sarai. He, he uh, deals with Pharaoh pretty harshly. What's happened to Abram? Has a Abram faced any consequence as of yet? A little embarrassed, perhaps? But he's, he's sent on his way with everything he gained back to the promised land. Sometimes the Lord's patience is quite amazing. It can be years before things come back around and the lessons are learned. And some time has passed since they've returned 
God has set them back on track. They're headed north. They're back to the promised land. But, but Abram didn't leave anything behind. He brought it all with him. All of that wealth, all of those extra servants, all of those heads of cattle. Which is a good reminder for us that, that having more money in our pocket isn't necessarily God's will for your life. We'll see in the next chapter, in Genesis 14, the first instance in all of Scripture, we, we are taught about the tithe. Like Abram gives back to the Lord 10% of all that God has given to him. This is the first time that we see it, and it's throughout Scripture, taught that we are to tithe, that we are to give back what we have received, the great blessings of the Lord, to give back as stewards of his resources. Abram, the father of our faith, teaches us that in Genesis 14. But we'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. I want you to notice something in verse 6. Let's look there. It says, The land could not support both of them dwelling there. Were they ever supposed to be together in the first place, Abram and Lot? No. So there's a resource crisis. Watering holes are limited. Grazing fields are at a premium. Uh, and Abram and Lot's herdsmen began to fight. We see a struggle between them, a struggle that's happening actually in the world around us today. Resources that are at a premium, that are limited, and people and even nations are fighting for them. Now, Abram is a shrewd businessman. He's been around for a long time as a businessman. Now he's a wandering nomad. How is he going to handle this crisis? Think for a second about what we know of Abram's culture 4,000 years ago. In many respects, it hasn't changed that much in all these years. He's the patriarch of his family. Every social convention says that he should dictate the terms, that he should pick before his nephew, that his nephew, even if he offers his nephew the first pick, that he should defer, oh no, uncle, you are the patriarch. I, I'm honored to be with you on this journey. Please, you pick first. And, and picture what we're talking about here for just a moment. When Abram and Lot go up on a little hillside and they look over Canaan, what are they seeing? Canaan is dry and rocky. It's an almost barren land. Whereas the Jordan Valley is lush it's relatively flat. It's, it's fertile ground. It's a country that is beautiful and it's already being used to grow crops. It's a country with, with hip happening towns, a great nightlife. Kind of an easy choice, isn't it? But Abram, the patriarch of the family, looks to his nephew and says, If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. Look at verse 8. Let there be no strife between you and me. Very diplomatic. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take what's on the left, I'll go right. Or if you take what is on the right, I will go left. That is amazing. Abram lets go of all of his rights. All of the social convention. He disregards it. And he chooses peace with his kinsmen over his own prosperity. If you haven't received grace 
you have very little to give. Abram has received grace upon grace, and out of a heart that's, that's full of the blessings that he's received from God, he can make this offer that is so incredible. He has every right to send Lot packing, uh, but he doesn't. He says, pick from the best. No one would have thought twice about it, but instead Abram volunteered to let go of his rights. He's trusting God. Friends, this is walking by faith. Walking by faith means that we don't always end up having the best. In fact, sometimes we have the worst, but we know the best is whatever God plans for us. That's happening here in Abram's life. Read this again. Look at the text with me for a moment as if you don't know the whole context. Read it as if you're one of those herdsmen or one of Abram's servants and you're standing there and and you realize your fate and the fate of your small family rests in the hands of the patriarch that you've been traveling around all these thousands of miles. You don't know what God's planning. What would you think? You might think, Abram, you've lost your mind. And oftentimes, taking the right step of faith looks crazy, or at least misguided. But the right steps are, in fact, righteous steps that glorify God and put a smack dab in the center of God's will. And and this is true for all ages. Let me just take a little aside to say this, because it comes to mind, I think of college students that I've, I've counseled that have come to my office and said, Pastor Pete, uh, I believe God's calling me into the mission field or I believe God's calling me to change my major from this major to this major. What, what do you think? So, well, let, let's talk about it. You know what they say? My parents think I'm crazy. I said, well, now your parents raised you up in this church, right? You heard children's sermons. You heard about Abram. You heard about walking by faith. You're, yeah, I heard all that. But now it's time to be practical. It's time to set a plan. Isn't that funny? We want our children to, to grow up in the faith, but we don't want them to be crazy for Jesus, do we? I think that's happening maybe now. Maybe young voices and ears are perking up and thinking, maybe God has a plan for me that, that might look crazy to the world around me. Even if it looks like you're selling for less than the best, or even the worst, it just might be God's will. It just might be God's will. The limestone rock of Bethel and Ai couldn't sustain Abram's share of livestock and people and herds, but he knows he's where God wants him to be. He's not going to second-guess God's plan, and so he's just going to give over, trust God fully for his plan. He's less dependent on his possessions for his security. Friends, that's why the offering time during the worship service is so critically important. We provided, and the church has provided it for 2,000 years, not just to keep the, the lights on, it's for your good. It's so that our souls won't rot. God designed us to receive blessing and to give blessing. And I mentioned a moment ago, 10%. 
But the number I want you to keep in mind today on Rally Day is 100%. 100% participation. That's what we're aiming for. That's what the elders are aiming for. That's what we prayed about on Thursday night. That 100%, every single person hearing my voice would participate in Rally Day. We'd find some means of, of giving back and serving, giving and receiving grace. Look at the person next to you. You say, look, look at him. You are going to receive a blessing from that person in the months to come. We want 100% participation in our, our stewardship campaign, breaking new ground. Whatever you are able to give as God has led you to, to put that down, to pledge that, to say, I am part of this community and I'm giving back to the Lord's work. 100% participation. Okay, verse 10. Verse 10 says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. That phrase, to lift up eyes, is frequent throughout the book of Genesis. In, in Hebrew, the term to lift one's eyes up has a physical connotation. You look up and, and you see. But there's also a, an internal sense in the head and in the heart. We're, we're also seeing what's going on in a person's heart and what their desires are. We see what they want. And, and what does Lot want when he looks up and sees? I think he wants more wealth and perhaps more status. We'll see that in the chapters to come. I imagine that Lot resented his uncle just a little bit, don't you? All those miles traveling along, always being second fiddle, always having to defer to your uncle. That's why he's so quick to, to choose the best. He doesn't say, well, uncle, please, this is Lot's opportunity. Marilyn Robinson, uh, her famous book, Gilead, speaking through Pastor John Ames, says this, I have always liked the phrase, nursing a grudge. Because many people are tender of their resentments as of the thing nearest their heart. Know anybody like that? Do you know anybody like that? Lot is like that. Someone who's nursing his grudge and holding it close to his heart. And here's his opportunity. But Lot pays a huge price for his decision to go down into that valley. His soul is forever damaged by that decision. The choice land, the gardens, the land like Egypt, it also is where his fate lies. At first, he's happy to live outside the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but then he becomes enchanted by what the city has to offer. So he moves into the city, and once in, Lot has to close his eyes to the reality around him. He has to close his eyes and ignore the wickedness around him. At first, Lot has to pretend that he's okay with the immorality around him. But then slowly, yet surely, he is okay with it. He begins to participate in it. The allure of the world can be a deadly trap. And in the case of Lot, we can arrive there Little by little. First John 2 says, The lust 
of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. One choice after another. And so Lot goes into the valley, sets up his tents, moves closer to the city. And the next scene we see of Lot is he's actually living in the city and has a leadership position and he's fully a part of all that's happening. Authentic faith that lays hold of the grace of God is known by its righteousness, its generosity, its joy in not being entangled with the world, but in what pleases God. We gain everything that is good by letting go and trusting God. And the irony is this. Lot chose what he thought was the best, but the best turns out to be his undoing. And all of it, all of the land, will one day be Abram's. It will all be given to his offspring. After Lot has separated from Abram, the Lord says in verse 14, look there with me, lift up, say it with me, your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look. In every direction, as far as you can see, it's all going to be your offsprings who will count in the millions upon millions. And notice verse 17. God says, arise. It means that Abram is kneeling. If, you, if, you, if the Lord tells him, stand up, it means he's kneeling at this point. Arise and walk the length and the breadth of the land I will give you. That's the legacy. The legacy that is going to be Abram's offspring. It won't be Abram's. He'll be long gone. But it will be given to the next generation. It's no mistake that chapter 13 begins and ends at the altar. Do you think you can have faith like that? I think, no. I could never have faith like that. Well, let me tell you for just a moment about a friend of mine named Chris. Chris Sanford. He's a pilot. Chris was uh, in the Navy. He was a pilot. He re- retired uh, honorably and decided to be an airline pilot. And he was uh, living in St. Louis, and he received a job with Northwest Airlines uh, to start as a captain uh, in Minneapolis, based out of Minneapolis. And he moved to Minneapolis uh, in early September 2001, ready to start his new career as a pilot for Northwest Airlines just before 9-11. I met Chris two weeks after 9-11. He walked in to the church office with a big packet of, of papers, uh, and he said, I'm, I'm applying to be an air marshal because I was just laid off along with everyone else who just came ready to start their careers, and I've got to find something. Chris and I became friends, and God began to work in powerful ways in his life. And Chris met Deanne, and I was blessed to have the opportunity to, to see them through their marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling process. And, and one Sunday, uh, before their wedding, uh, Chris came into the office before church and was shaking like a leaf. And here, this is a big, strong, Eagle Scout Navy guy. I mean, he's not someone that you'd see that would 
that would look quite so, so pale. I said, what's the matter, Chris? And he said, Pete, I, I realize that I have been hoarding my wealth and my resources from God. And I need to make things right today. And he reached into his pocket and he pulled out every last penny that he had saved in his checking account that he'd been living off of for the past number of months. He was down to two, his last $2,000. And he said, I, I need to put this in the offering today. But I, I don't want everyone to know that I'm doing this and yet I feel compelled to share my testimony that, that I have not been faithful to the Lord. You see, Deanne, his fiance, and the Holy Spirit, and the church, in ministering to Chris, helped him to see that he'd been holding back all the gifts that God had given him for so many years. Chris made that offering. And in the months to come, he did find an opportunity to fly again. And he saw that as a ministry. Now, he couldn't serve as an elder or deacon, and he didn't have any time uh, to serve in the church much to, to speak of because he was doing these crazy overnight flights and 36 hours on, and you sleep in a, uh, in a cot, and then you fly again, and all this craziness on the road. But he said to me, Pete, I have hours and hours with my co-pilot, with the flight crew, I even have an opportunity to minister uh, to the passengers as they get on, and I'm praying for them. And I, I ask my co-pilot, can I, can I say a quick prayer before we, we take off? And in the days after 9-11, all pilots were saying, yes, please pray. Chris saw that as his ministry. Now, prosperity theology pastors might say at the end of this story, and Chris became a huge success and made millions and millions of bucks. And that's not the case. In fact, Chris and Deanne, uh, invested in a small business, uh, some sort of uh, therapy massage center, and they lost everything. They've lost, their sh- they've lost everything. They kept their house and their two kids. But you know what they have? Grace upon grace. They are in the middle of of God's will, yet they don't know what tomorrow brings. Chris is still flying like crazy. Deanne's trying to figure out how to, how to dig out of this hole they're in. But they know, they know they are in the middle of God's grace. Abram and Lot made very different decisions about where to live, what lifestyle to adopt. And those decisions influenced their families and the entire nation of Israel for hundreds of years. Lot made his choice because his heart and mind were filled with the beauty of a soon-to-be wasteland. He only saw the glitz and glamour and his own interest. But Abram's vision, a gift of God's grace, saw God's plan for his life and for all who walk by faith. Friends, I want you to see that God has a plan for you here at Nielsville and out there. I want you to know that every member of this church is a minister and a missionary. That this is an opportunity for the leaders of your church to equip you and for you to have an opportunity to exercise your God-given abilities, whatever they may be. Take advantage of it. This is 
your day. One of the most vital qualities of healthy Christian faith is lifting our eyes to Jesus. That's why the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Rivet your eyes on Jesus. He gave up his rights. He gave up needing to have the best so that we could have the best. And so his father could get the glory. Do you want to have the kind of faith that lays hold of the grace of God? Do you want the kind of faith that honors Jesus as your treasured king? Do you want the kind of faith that keeps you in step with the spirit of God, little by little, headed in the right, smart direction that pleases your Father in heaven? Sure you do. You can have that right now. Just follow his lead. Follow his lead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we begin to sing this next song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, my friends here, collectively, we've sung it over 100,000 times. Lord God, may it be the first time in our hearts today that we sing with reckless abandon. Lord Jesus, Lift up our eyes and rivet them to you and to your example for our life. I pray, Lord, that as we, as we sing praises to your great faithfulness, that you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. For we ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand and let's sing together. Great is thy faithfulness.